MNK Talk YA now presents Deathless Divide Part 1 of the Dread Nation Duology by Justina Ireland. Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the second book in the Dread Nation duology by Justina Ireland. We read halfway through Deathless Divide. Yes, yeah, so we stopped at part two, The Road to Perdition. Exactly. I almost feel like this could have been its own book. <laughs> part one. Really? Well, maybe that's not fair. It would have felt very much like a middle book if it had been a standalone. But I feel like a lot happened. And then, I mean, there's definitely things that are unanswered, but it doesn't feel like just like a, I mean, it feels like we're going to get to a part two. Like, it, like there's a big, oh, this is like, yes. a, you know what I mean? Like, there's like some sense of, well, now what? Not like. There's clear division. Yeah. It's not like Which I love. someone just got shot and we need to figure out if they lived or not. It's like, okay, a bunch of stuff just happened and like wrapped up and now like, where do we go from here? And that's kind of how the first book was too. Like there was a clear division between her life at the Rose Hill School and, or not the, her life at the combat school and her life in Summerland. It seems like that's a theme. That's fair. I guess our stopping point didn't line up with that, so I didn't feel that as much. Like, this time it's like, oh, oh. I stopped reading for a day and a half. And yeah. Like, what? what now? <laughs> huh. Well, you had a question last week. You were curious if we were going to pick up in California or in this new town, Nicodemus, or if we were going to pick up right where we left off at the end of the first book. And I'm very glad that we didn't lose any time. Yep. Like, we're, they were still on the road. They were heading towards this town. Um, we get a little bit of a prologue where we see Jane arriving at Miss Preston's and meeting Catherine, which was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah, but we pick up right where the action left off, which is what I wanted, because I didn't want to miss a single moment. (laughs) Well, especially because a lot of things happened on the road. Like, if we had picked up when we got to town, we would have missed a lot, because Jackson got bit by a shambler, and Jane had to kill him. I feel like that was a bit... And we found out he was married, and... Oh my gosh, yeah. What else happened on the road? Just a lot of shambler shenanigans. That's definitely the big part. Uh, did not expect Jackson to die. Really was shocked by that. Me too. And that was awful when he was basically asked Jane to end it. And ooh, she kind of describes that where she's just like kind of waiting for him to turn and because she doesn't want to in case you yeah. know kill him prematurely. Yeah, that was. Uh, But of course, you know, me, I also kind of loved it. Like, I totally wasn't expecting it to happen that fast, but it made, I mean, it just like raises the stakes and makes everything so much, I don't know, more like anything can happen, no one's safe. I don't don't know why I love like that in a book, but it did make me happy because I thought we were going to have more of like a Jackson romance. And even with the marriage thing, I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Like, I wonder what that's going to do. And then before we even really made peace with that, he turned. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think that's what's so interesting is um, I really, it was tough that Jane killed him at, at a moment where she was angry with him, right? Because mm-hmm. she, he he doesn't want to go to Nicodemus. He wants to go to Fort Riley and she learns it's because his wife is there. And she very much comes right out and she asks him like, why did you get married? Like, why her and not me essentially? And he gives her this like, I mean, it's an it was an honest reason, but it was just like it made me disappointed a little bit because he says that he wanted a woman who could be a mother uh, to Lily and he wanted a wife who was nurturing and not reckless like her and he wanted like a woman who'd be reliable mm-hmm. and I-, I think that is a very honest answer and like if that's how he feels that's what he deserves but Jane was like well it sounds like he wants a doormat and that's clearly not me and she like very much takes offense to it which is understandable. And again, I think even though I think his reason I can respect, I the fact that he kept it secret for so long, because he was married before they went looking for Lil, like basically before yeah. the first book started. And it was super shitty. I feel like he was still like flirty with her and he obviously was like choosing her as his partner in crime, literally. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I almost feel bad for his wife and for Jane at the same time. I mean, we haven't met his wife, so I don't know exactly how much she maybe knew or how comfortable she was with everything, but I also feel like he just was kind of a little bit of a shady dude. Agreed. And I didn't like how when Jane confronted him, he was like, oh, I knew you were going to get upset. And it's like, yeah, of course. And she has every right to. Like, don't turn this on her. This is your fault. Like, you're the one who didn't tell her and toyed with her and, you know, wasn't super faithful to your wife. Like, I hated how he immediately like tried to blame her for or act like she was overreacting yeah because he was the one who kissed her in the last book right at the end (laughs) like he initiated that Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also thought it was really self-aware of Jane to, when she was, like, talk thinking about it all and processing it, it wasn't even, like, that she loved him so much or, like, wanted to marry him so badly. I think there was a part of her that did really care about him and stuff, but the bigger thing was he never even asked her, and I think that is something, like, as a girl, too, that I can, like, totally relate to, like, that feeling of, like, even if you didn't want that, like, someone asking the next person like really quickly I don't know it just like some that just felt like really vulnerable and raw and true to me I agree because she feels like everyone she loved has pushed her away like her mom tried to drown her Jackson kind of pushed her aside like I can see why she's feeling that way And she kind of has this, like, part of why people need her or want her around in the first place is because of her, like, survivor instinct skills, Mm -hmm. ability to, like, like, part of why she's, like, making friends and starting these relationships and people gathering people around her is because of the same thing that it feels like people are rejecting her for, like, sort of like Jackson was interested in her and like kept up this friendship and like chose her for this adventure kind of in part for the very same reason that he's then saying I wanted to marry someone completely the opposite of that like I don't know like it's like such a push and pull because without those things she wouldn't have met him or formed that connection or she wouldn't I don't know it's just and I guess uh what's his name Redfern kind of talked about it a little bit too later on when he was talking Mm. to her about like you what was he saying like basically like you want 
You always want to be the hero. Good more than you want survivor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like, heroes die and survivors get to stay around and tell the story. And I think it was also Catherine who says she believes that a person becomes whatever they need to survive. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting that we're seeing so many different versions of that. Like we're seeing Jane who who is reckless, but she does things to save other people. You know, she's always the one like running headfirst into battle mm-hmm. and doesn't have a super strong sense of self-preservation. Whereas someone like Redfern is like a total opportunist and he does whatever it takes to get by, even if it, you know, contradicts his beliefs or, you know, compromises things that he cares about he literally will work with anyone if it means that he'll be able to survive it'll save his hide yep yeah and um well i don't want to get too far but um do you think we're gonna see jackson's wife i hope so i i think we will i mean i kind of expect we will because i think at a minimum i mean i know i guess we're kind of jumping ahead can i just say what i want to (laughs) say yeah say it i think i know what you're gonna say well, I was just going to say, this isn't even all of it, but Lily is with Catherine right now and not with Jane, but part of what Jane's promise to Jackson was when he died and now that she's seen his ghost, I think she'll want to at least introduce Lily to his wife. Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I thought you were going to say now that we know that his wife was pregnant. I thought about saying that, but then I said something really roundabout instead. <laughs> yeah, his wife is pregnant. So I think we're definitely going to see her. And I guess the one thing that I will say about losing Jackson is I'm kind of glad because, yes, like you said, it really proves that no one is safe out in this world. And we kind of needed that because everything has kind of worked out so far. Especially because he's already kind of escaped death once because we thought he was dead before. And then (laughs) he was like, oh, I actually just was in the next town over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also glad that we did not get a love triangle between him, Jane, and Gideon, because I think that could have been tiresome. And I liked that the author set it up that, like, no longer, Jackson's no longer in the picture, but besides that, Gideon is no longer really a romantic interest. I was gonna say, I forgot he was even in the triangle, because... <laughs> He's been up to some dastardly things. Yeah, he, uh, how would you describe him on that, like, survivor spectrum? I think the way Gideon is surviving is that he wants, it's, I feel like it's his instinct to try and solve problems. Like, he's a scientist, so he's tackling it from a scientific perspective. And Mm -hmm. he wants so badly to find a cure for this disease that it's clouding his judgment. And his, like, sense of humanity, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I think he was so excited by the results he got when he tested, because we learned that he tested the vaccine on himself, and he got bit and didn't die. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that one episode, he assumed that his vaccine worked and was willing to test it on all of these people and, like, force everyone in the town to get vaccinated. And I was just like, wow, this is your pride really getting in the way of common sense because, and Jane points it out, she's like, how do you know that you just weren't naturally immune to zombies? Like, that is a possibility. Like, he just believes wholeheartedly and so blindly in his own genius. Mm -hmm. And I think that's disturbing to me. But it is such a, you're right, it's like the scientist outlook where he's not concerned about individuals even when he's, like, Mm -hmm. spouting this nonsense, if you will, about caring for, like, saving humanity but not like humans (laughs) exactly but uh i have a question so Mm -hmm. he did give the vaccine to all of the black people in summerland he did yes 
but they were still done. Like, part of me is like, as a scientist, when do you start? I guess he kept messing with the vaccine. So he kept maybe think maybe those were all just like versions. And he was like, oh, I guess they died. I don't know. Like, part of me just even as a scientist would be like, okay, one out of it'd be one thing if you just like did it once and believed it and like vaccinated everyone. But he did it over a period of time and people still got bit and turned over and over and over again. Yeah, that's, well, see, that's the thing, like, I don't, I don't, I think you're right, but at the same time, I don't know if that's true, because I don't know how many people got bit and then got eaten, so, like, they never had a chance to come back. That's fair. You know, like, and at the end, we do get that scene where, um, I mean, that was a, that's, like, me jumping way ahead, but when the horde overruns the town, also due to Gideon's faults, can we talk about that? (laughs) I don't even understand that either. So, okay. So he was doing this vaccine thing. He rushed a batch of it and accidentally actually turned people into shamblers instead of just giving them enough to fight off and be immune. Right. Couldn't handle them. He was already in town, so he just thought he'd open the back gate to let them out. That didn't work. Yeah. Anyways, and then there... But he didn't just open the back gate. Didn't they, like, destroy the back gate? Yeah, he and um, Callie. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it Callie? Yeah, you're right. They, like, completely dismantled the gate. And as soon as I heard that the gate fell, I was like, oh, no, not again. Because the wall fell in Summerland, too. And I was like, this is not a coincidence. So as soon as they said that, like, the gate fell, I was like, oh, someone's behind this. But, yeah, he, he, like, vaccinated all of most of the people. And then the townspeople who didn't get vaccinated were complaining. And so he tried to distill the serum faster and ended up turning, uh, and, like, he turned up a bunch of people who we care about. So, like, the Duchess got turned. Yeah, and the little baby. Thomas, yeah, Ugh. the little boy, which was so sad. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he his solution was to, like, open the gate and hope that the turned people would join the herd. <laughs> and... Okay, but I still don't understand why. Why didn't he just open the gate? Like, why did he destroy the gate? <laughs> uh, I don't... I think, I don't know. I mean, was that the gate where his, like, railgun contraption was on? So he had to, like, like, you couldn't just open the gate. It was, like, meant to keep people in and keep people out kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know. But it seemed, with a horde already out there, like a (laughs) dumb thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) He, like, invited them in, essentially. (sighs) After already literally creating them inside. It was just, it was just such a mess. And I'm still kind of confused by how some of the other people in town responded like when they sort of realized what was happening and had barely any time and jane and a couple others are like knocking on doors telling people they have to run and like no one's Mm -hmm. been opening the door Mm -hmm. i was like what why are you not even like opening the door (laughs) well that was that's such a good point because isn't it jane who says she says something like why do people keep listening to men like gideon but ignoring people like me yeah. And it's so true. Like, people are willing to listen to this white scientist guy because he seems so smart and educated and whatever whatever other stereotype you want to throw at him. But then there's this girl who is speaking reason at every turn, and yet every time she shows up, she's essentially the scapegoat. Like, when she they show up at this oh, town, yeah. she's immediately arrested for the sheriff's <laughs> death. And it's it's just so frustrating for his murder yes (laughs) yeah and like you can kind of see her mental struggle too where she's just like 
this is just constant in my life. Like people listen to people like Gideon and they don't listen to girls like me. And it's to their own detriment. And again, I mean, I guess part of part of me thinks this happens a lot too where people want like a problem they can fix when there's a bigger problem they can't fix. But the other part of me is like there is a horde outside of the wall that your town that you were in two days ago got completely destroyed. Like, is this really the time to be figuring out a murder trial? I don't think she's going to go start, like, she's not a serial killer who's going to go start killing all of you. Like, why don't we focus on the bigger problem instead of, like, off with her head or whatever? You know, I mean, like, why why is that our concern right now? I think they put her in jail um, just to satisfy the white people who are calling for her head, essentially, because the thing that is different about this town is that it is run mostly by black people. So the mayor is black, um, Redfern is the sheriff. There's a lot of people in charge who are black like Jane. And I think that kind of was one of the reasons why they were so certain this town was going to fail, just because they were, they believed that the white people wouldn't stand for it. Like eventually they would rise up and claim power back for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I so I think them arresting Jane because they kept saying like don't worry you're not gonna get in trouble like we're gonna let you go I think it was really just to like do a show for the white people who were so unreasonable yeah but I'm talking about those white people why oh like, yeah <laughs> like why are they even asking for her murder trial immediately when there's like a bajillion zombies right outside the door <laughs> but Ugh. yes it's just a good sh- sign of like why how prejudice runs so deeply like they can't even come to you know they 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 still are clinging to it even though this whole much very serious problems going on outside their walls they still can't see reason so i have another question for you uh redfern and miss duncan they are not with the group that we know got out eventually we have not seen them as turned shamblers true and we have not seen them alive after the shamblers have wandered through town do you think that they are out there somewhere because redfern is a survivor or do you think we have seen the last of them i think they're still out there i don't know if i trust them very much though nope i do not trust them at all (laughs) and it was really sad because like i really wanted to like redfern as a character but i really kind of (laughs) don't like i think he he is what what i don't like about him is he's asking jane not to judge him for the choices he makes but at every turn, he is so judgmental about her and just yep. like so openly disdainful of her. And I don't know what Miss Duncan's doing. I mean, she was essentially feeding girls out west and sending them to the slaughter. So I don't have high hopes for her. She claimed she didn't know. Yeah. But we think that's BS, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like, I don't know, how people like claimed they didn't know the Holocaust was happening right under their noses. Like, yeah. really? So I don't. I don't trust them. Now we know they're together and like romantically involved. And I just, I don't know what their motive is. Like, I, I think their motive is just to survive, but I don't know how that's going to affect the other group. Yeah, no, I agree. I I guess I feel a little bit better because I do feel like their motive is to survive. And knowing that it might be easier to predict how they'll behave, but they're not trustworthy or like reliable allies, even if temporarily we align on 
a goal. <laughs> right. You know who I loved in this book? Who? Like, to me, who I thought the star of this book was? Catherine. Oh, we got her perspective this time. So last time, yeah. last book, it was all from Jane's perspective. And I forgot, I wanted to comment on this last time, but all of Jane's chapters in this book still follow the same structure where they're titled, in which, insert description of the chapter. And then it was cool because Catherine's chapters were all, what were they, like notes about? A or note on, like, yeah, a note notes on, on friendship or... Yeah. Notes on something. And it kind of reminded me of, like, Friends episodes for some reason. You know how all the Friends episodes are, like, the one where. (laughs) But I thought that was kind of just a cool little detail and different voices. But, yeah, it was cool to see Catherine's perspective. I think I enjoyed Jane's perspective more, though. I think I liked Catherine so much because I find her really refreshing. um, Just because I like that she is a badass girl who is still into corsets and petticoats and having beautiful hair and walking in beautiful shoes. Like, Mm -hmm. I like that the author presented that kind of character because I think we're so used to getting like these strong female characters who, you know, purposely put aside anything feminine, quote unquote feminine, or, um, you know, any kind of interest in things that we would deem quote unquote girly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I so I like that we have Catherine who's like (laughs) insisting on wearing her corset (laughs) and she like she has bible verses at the front of all of her chapters and like she is a little bit prissy like they call her Miss Priss that's her nickname but she's also a really great fighter and like the best shot in the entire school and I loved that we got to see her actually fight in this book. Mm -hmm. And I do like getting more of her background too. We're starting to hear a little bit about what her life was like before she came to what Preston, what's it Mm -hmm. called again? Miss Preston's. Yeah, Miss Preston's. And we, I also like this piece that Jane hasn't picked up on yet, but we've seen when we're in Catherine's perspective of her like dealing with anxiety and like maybe mild panic attacks and stuff. Because I think that's such an interesting, kind of again, going back to this duality of she can like handle crises. She's like, it's not like debilitating in the sense that I feel like sometimes if someone like has anxiety in a book, they like can't do anything or something like she Mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting to see how she handles it and like I'm I'm curious to see that play out more and how I don't know I just I I like how we're being exposed to it but it's also not like oh she can't I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say she's still very capable yes exactly yeah and I love again to your point she is such a good foil to Jane like I like them together I think a lot because Jane's very, like, hot-headed. She's emotional in the sense that she, like, kind of lets her emotions run her action, especially anger. But Catherine is more perceptive of other people's emotions and can kind of present what she wants to. So, like, she can kind of keep her own emotions in check a little bit, but she also can, like, relate to other people's emotions better. So they're such a funny duo, and I love their friendship, and it is fun to see it from both sides and get a new perspective in this book. And she's definitely becoming a much more, like, three-dimensional character. Yeah, I think she's just always surprising me, Catherine, because yeah. I liked whenever Jane confessed that she was seeing Jackson's ghost, and Catherine immediately was like, oh, what did he tell you? Like, yeah. there was no part of her mind that didn't believe that ghosts could appear. And, like, when Jane talks about her 
magic penny that she has that turns cold whenever danger is close by. Mm -hmm. Catherine is like totally accepting of that too. Like she, and I think it has to do, like you said, with her background that we're learning more about where she said she spent some time in New Orleans with, and I I thought this was fascinating. She, She said, I spent time in New Orleans with the Laveau sisters or Laveau women. Mm-hmm. So I that was my research for this week. I researched Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans. That's awesome. I want to hear more. So have you been to New Orleans? I have. You have? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that where you got engaged? Yeah, that's where Jen <laughs> and I got engaged. And we saw um, Marie Laveau's gravestone. So did I when I was there. It is, yeah. But I don't know. I don't remember that much about her, but... I am excited to hear. So her her name is Marie Catherine Laveau, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And she was born in the um, French Quarter of, of Louisiana, of New Orleans, in 1801. And um, she had a daughter who was also named Marie, who was also um, a very renowned partic- practitioner of voodoo as well so she essentially was so she was born a free woman of color and she was known as like a healer and an herbalist and people say that she wielded tremendous power in new orleans and uh she was rumored to possess magical abilities and visitors from all over would come to seek her counsel or to get advice So she started um, a beauty parlor, which is interesting. So she was a hairdresser for a lot of the wealthier families of New Orleans. Hmm. And essentially, she was able to kind of become part of a network of, you know, very prominent white households. And she was able to get information from them because so many of these women would come into her hair salon. So she was able to like gather a lot of information about her clients Hmm. And so a lot of people thought, like people who don't believe in voodoo kind of say that she was able to be such a, she was able to give such good advice and was able to influence people so much because she just, she had so information, so much information that she gained from her clients. Mm-hmm. But a lot of other people believe that she had a career in practicing voodoo, which is really interesting because voodoo is so it's presented in such a terrible way in the media and it's like very rarely accurately portrayed but basically it's a combination of west african religions that were brought over by african people when they were um, captured and brought over as slaves but it also combines a lot of christianity so like um some of these people when they came over they adopted christianity and so that a lot of christian beliefs became incorporated into their their religion Mm -hmm. and then it also um adopted traditions of indigenous people that they met so it's like it's this blend of religions actually that is not you know it's not like zombies in in voodoo dolls and like pin cushions it's um like a very serious religion that people practiced Mm -hmm. so they would seek marie laveau out for spiritual intervention protection from curses if they wanted to be lucky in love um, if they wanted some like positive forces to be working on their life they would come and seek her out and she 
she would she had the front room of her cottage filled with um it was like an uh there were altars there filled with candles holy images and offerings and she would lead weekly meetings there where all the participants would dress in white and they would leave offerings to the spirits um and so and it attracted very affluent individuals um, politically minded people white and black people um they all paid her for her personal advice Good for her. Yeah, totally. What an enterprising woman as well. Yeah, and she also was, um, I mean, she she did a lot of other great stuff when she was alive. So she was known for nursing patients who had yellow fever. She posted bail for free women of color. She visited condemned prisoners to pay, to pray with them. What's interesting, though, is that she was, while she was a free woman of color, she did own several slaves herself. Interesting. Which is interesting, yeah. But they say that a lot of people, like the one of the other reasons that voodoo became so criticized was because, you know, the white community basically never accepted it as a legitimate religion because it was practiced so often by people of color. Um, so racism played a big a big part of why there were these sensational stories that were fabricated about her, um, like calling her ceremonies drunken orgies and calling her the voodoo queen. Um, some people said that she kept a magic snake. So... You know, she was a woman who did wield considerable influence and, and you know, people took that and vilified it mm-hmm. to kind of make her seem less legitimate than she was. I could see that. But yeah, she's a fascinating character, a fascinating person. It is so interesting. I do feel like you're right. I don't know a ton about voodoo, but the like impression I've gotten from movies and the media and stuff is that it is sort of this like less legit kind of spooky i don't know like you're like nefarious like you always see like people casting spells and like sticking pins and dolls to hurt people but most of most of the practices were to help people like ward off evil spirits or you know Mm -hmm. help them succeed in some way that's cool yeah yeah so yeah if anyone goes to new orleans definitely go visit the tombstone of marie laveau a lot of people still travel from all over the world to leave offerings on her tombstone which is pretty pretty cool new orleans is such a cool city in general there's so much like interesting history and cool tours and great food and music and some terrible things too even recently with like Katrina and you know now I just like want to go on another trip because I want to go anywhere I can leave my house that was one of the best trips we took for sure that was just like it's a place that is really unlike any other like I've been to so many cities where I'm like oh yeah this is like France this feels like Paris this feels like Montreal this feels you know but when you go to New Orleans it is it is its own thing it is yeah I feel like I went like right after you I think I was like there a week later and I think I yeah. went to like where you got engaged and I was like Marissa just got engaged here yeah Audubon <laughs> Park I, I like haven't thought about that trip in a while but that was a good one and that was fun yeah I'd love to go back one day what did you research I looked into how will I describe this horribly <laughs> botched clinical trials <gasps> Ooh, because is this make me afraid for COVID I mean, are you planning to volunteer to be one of the people they test the vaccine on? No. <laughs> then hopefully not. Okay. But it did, I, I don't know why I thought like there'd be like some funny like stories in here or something. <laughs> they were quite a few disturbing stories, but it is just, 
Again, it's so interesting to think about how much trust we put into people who say they're a scientist or a doctor. And I mean, I think Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, these people were legitimate scientists and doctors, but they are, you know, trying to figure things out. We don't know all the answers when we're doing some of these tests and stuff. So, right. Um, Okay. So the first one, there was this test at the University of Minnesota Medical Center for they were testing multiple types of schizophrenia medications so oh wow seroquel risperdal and zaprexa and there was this this guy in the study dan markinson who started taking 800 milligrams of seroquel and his delusions started getting worse and his mother recognized that it was if anything making him worse and definitely not helping him and tried to get him out of the program And basically they like ignored her and threatened that if he left the program, he'd be admitted into a mental facility and like all kinds of like kind of terrible stuff. And she ultimately found out that his participation in the study was worth like $15,000 to the school. So that kind of explains why they were so resistant to let him out. But ultimately he um, committed suicide by stabbing himself to death in the shower and oh my god the his mother tried to sue the school because they weren't taking any responsibility for the actions and there were four other test subjects who attempted suicide and at least one other who succeeded and ultimately wait i forget someone did lose their job i would hope so yeah so that's so sad because it's just people who can't necessarily advocate for themselves either you know yeah and it's also sad i mean it would be sad regardless if someone was taking advantage of someone which it feels like Mm -hmm. this was but then also for someone to be trying to advocate like his mother is aware and objecting and like trying to get him out of the study because she can see that he's getting worse and worse and worse and like basically being ignored yeah and this was in 2003 so after he died though they suspended recruitment into the psychiatric research studies and the chair of the department ultimately did resign he should have gone to jail i don't think he was the one running the study which doesn't mean he's not I but I I feel like the person running the study should have definitely gone to jail. Yeah, whoever authorized it should yeah. be imprisoned, yeah. Um and then in 2016 there was this French company BioTrial which recruited 128 healthy volunteers to take part in a clinical drug or a clinical trial for a drug that was supposed to combat anxiety related to cancer and Parkinson's. Hmm. And with a small dose of the drug, patients reported no side effects. But when they started like increasing the dosage, problems started to surface and six participants became sick and were immediately sent to the ER. One of those patients was a man who was otherwise healthy. Again, these were healthy volunteers to start with in his late 20s. And he was declared brain dead within one <gasps> week of being admitted to the hospital two weeks after starting the trial. So he didn't have cancer? I don't think. He was like a test group. Whoa. So I didn't read like full details of these studies. This is like a high level yeah. summary. So it described them as healthy volunteers, but maybe that, maybe they had overcome cancer before, but it doesn't yeah. sound like they, it, it was more about anxiety than it was about like treating cancer. Oh my God, that's horrible. And um, the other five who went to the ER were in stable condition, but they were predicted to have suffered irreversible brain damage and other mental handicaps it's just crazy that the trials progressed to human trials and they hadn't seen any effects of it previously this time so they said they actually uncovered a pre-trial pre-human trial 
experiment, or I don't know what you call it, but they had tested it on dogs, and it killed uh, several dogs and left others oh with brain God. damage. So I have no oh idea how this even got approved for humans. That's terrifying. Oh, that's really scary, too. Just thinking of, like, because, I mean, think of all the anti-anxiety medicines that are out there, and just, like, one formula can help, and one formula can have that catastrophic of an effect. Oof. I know. Um, okay, this was. I'm, there's no like feel good stories here. So when we've had okay. too much, you can just. No let one's me gonna know. like have the ability to turn invisible or like they grow wings or something fun. Thalidomide was manufactured in Germany and originally it was supposed to be uh, a drug used for treating respiratory infections. Oh. But in the 1960s, over 10,000 children were born with serious. Oh, thalidomide. Yeah, I said it wrong. Yeah. Wasn't it given to women for uh, morning sickness? So, yeah, it was thought to be safe for pregnant women. So they also were taking it for that. And Mm -hmm. basically, uh, it wasn't a good idea to take for (laughs) pregnant women. And all these children were born with deformities. Right. But they had deemed it was safe because it was impossible to die from an overdose, but they hadn't done any basically testing on how offspring would be affected. So it like essentially changed how like the FDA worked in general too, because they like tightened restrictions for drug testing in the US requiring more like proofs of how safe and effective things were because... Yeah, I think they had, like, tested it. Like, they couldn't kill a mouse with it or something. Like So they were like, oh, you can't OD on it, so it's safe. <laughs> but Jeez. that's not. Yeah, that's, that's scary. I know several people, actually, who were thalidomide babies or who had effects from their mothers taking thalidomide. I don't know specifically, but I wouldn't be surprised if I also know someone. This one, I don't even understand how this one happened. In 1953, there was this airman, Ronald Madison, who... Signed up for a study where he was told he'd be helping to find a cure for the common cold. And he was given Hmm. 15 shillings and a three-day leave pass from the Air Force, I guess. And his plan was to buy an engagement ring for his girlfriend with his time Hmm. off. But when he got to the facility, he was exposed to 200 milligrams of sarin nerve gas, which was put on a piece of uniform material and wrapped around his arm. And within 20 minutes, he began to sweat and complain he did not feel well. He soon slumped over the table, started complaining of deafness, gasping for breath and convulsing. And ultimately, he was taken to a nearby medical facility, but they were unable to resuscitate him even after injecting adrenaline into his heart. And within 45 minutes of being exposed to the poison, he was pronounced dead. But again, he signed up for a study for the common cold, not for like, let me just see what What? this toxin does to me and like why would they think that nerve gas would cure the cold i mean i think it was just a false advertisement like i don't think that's what they really thought oh they it was just someone who was trying to murder someone i mean i don't know if they were trying to murder someone again i didn't do enough like follow-up research but like i can't imagine they thought that would cure the common cold me either that sounds like an ad that like a serial killer would put out yeah, but I guess if they took him to the hospital, so they did eventually try to save him, but like only when it was clearly too late. That's such a weird story. I w- signed up to be um, a test subject, actually, when I was living in Pittsburgh. For what? I didn't have to take any medicine, but I did a couple studies on um, like analyzing the effects of seasonal affective disorder and... 
It was very fascinating. I did for that one. I just they just took pictures of my retinas and I had to collect saliva and give it to them and like answer a questionnaire. But the other one that I did was like super fascinating. I signed up um, to be a control subject and they were trying to compare cognitive after effects of people who had had brain tumors removed, like a specific type of brain tumor removed. Hmm. So in order to be picked for this study, all of my statistics had to match up to a patient because I was the control. So like they had to have a patient who was like my age, my race, my like socioeconomic group. And there was a young woman who had a brain tumor removed who like met all of my qualifications. So I was brought in to be like her control subject. And it was super interesting. It was like four sessions and at each one basically you just had to do like a cognitive ability test so I had to like it was actually super fun like they gave me puzzles that I had to do like they would show me a picture like a complex geometric shape and then they would take it away and have me draw it by memory to like see how much I could remember they would read me long stories that were just like it would be like oh Mrs. Brown woke up on a Tuesday in her blue house and then she petted her calico cat and then she went to work at the shoe factory and you had to like repeat the story as much like with as much detail as you could remember it was really interesting I really enjoyed it but I always like I would see studies where you had to take medicine and I would be tempted but I never did it because I was too nervous now I'm glad I didn't yeah it's scary I mean there are a lot of obviously it's good that we do clinical trials and a lot of good things have come out of them too but it, it I don't know if I I'm so like paranoid I would be nervous to be one of the first humans to be tested for something oh me too and also like I, I think on a lot of them you have to be isolated in like a hotel room for like the one I was gonna do you had to be alone in a hotel room for a week just taking this medicine or taking the placebo whatever and then you just had to write down all of your side effects like everything you experienced you had to write down and I was just like that seems oh because they were going to expose you to like a cold or a virus or something and like see how you reacted I was like no this is not for me (laughs) and again it would be different like if like when I was you know I've had some medical problems in the past like in certain situations your choices would be different because like if you have some thing going on that you can't get a treatment for otherwise you might be more likely to like sign up for a trial because it's, sure trials can be really helpful yeah it could be one of the few hopes or whatever but it's yep. also kind of scary so in march 2006 eight men volunteered to try a drug that was supposed to significantly improve cancer treatment by doing some kind of like manipulation of the immune system and they were offered 2000 um, pounds and soon after they took it two of them were given placebos but the other six men were like writhing and screaming in agony and their organs started to fail and their heads began to swell oh my god and they the medics like they were in the ICU for like several weeks but they did I think save everybody but they they had like a long they still have uh, effects from this and they're not sure wow. like what the long-term damage is to their body but one of the participants the youngest one who was only 21 at the time spent four months in the hospital he suffered heart liver and kidney failure experienced frostbite like effects that um, led to some of his 
feet being amputated and some of his fingertips oh falling God. off. And again, it looked like they like cut some corners, so they're not exactly sure what went wrong. Mm-hmm. But um, one suggestion is that they were, I guess they spent 90 minutes slowly injecting animals with the drug when they were doing the animal testing. But then when they injected human subjects, they only took six minutes. So I don't know if that means they injected the hmm. same amount in less time or or what that means exactly. Interesting. And they also, someone claimed that they like, I forget what kind of animal, but they were supposed to use an animal that's like a 98% DNA match to humans, but they used an animal that was only a 94% DNA match to humans because it was cheaper. And, you know, you want it to be as close as possible, obviously, because you're trying to... I could never have that job. Are you kidding me? Like having to inject, I mean, humans or animals, but like that would break my heart. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. I actually kind of love the evil scientist trope a little bit in mm-hmm. so, in stories like I'm not a huge fan of Gideon right now because I don't even I almost I don't I'm not even convinced that he's really trying to save people I think he's just interested in the science but I love this the like idea when someone has to like make a choice between like the greater good and like the good of the people around them and I think sometimes scientists and stuff are in an interesting choice there because they if they're thinking in terms of numbers instead of people and like oh yeah it's work you know and I think that is kind of an interesting dilemma to be given and how people handle it is is sometimes interesting but I just wish that his procedure was his test method was a little bit better like yeah maybe I don't know I just feel like it's he was such an irresponsible scientist you know yeah and that's what I think a lot of these clinical trials are actually like a corner was cut or something wasn't done properly in the pre-trial or you know they didn't control for something and it is just scary because even even when you're following scientific procedure properly you do have a lot of humans involved and just humans can make mistakes so there are more all the stories are along the same lines though where someone likes signed up for a test and something went horribly wrong and hopefully we learn from it and put something in place to prevent it from happening again but yeah again some of them have just like huge amounts like they were out in the world before anyone realized which is scary well I'm nervous too because now that so at the at the very end of this book Jane gets bitten when she's yes trying to fight off the horde and she stays behind to try and give the others time to flee fully believing that she's going to turn into a zombie so she locks herself into a cell to kind of prevent herself from doing damage to anyone i kind of thought she was gonna die too to be honest especially after jackson already had yeah but so but she survives so mm-hmm. she um she doesn't die because of a zombie bite so now i'm worried that gideon's gonna be like oh look my vaccine really does work when it's like okay yes it's worked a few times but like that's not that's not a green light to go ahead and like forcibly inject people with this thing willy-nilly yeah and i i would agree i don't think we've seen the last of him even though he did run off at in the last scene but <laughs> oh he'll definitely be back yeah, and everyone else also assumes Jane is dead because everyone saw her get bitten. get attacked by a shambler and she knew what she was doing and she stayed behind. And again, even if... Well, the interesting thing is not only did she not die from the shambler bite, but like now the shamblers aren't interested in her at all. Right. Which is actually ideal because it's, again, it's not just getting bit by them, but also like potentially being eaten by them. So now she's like... Immune to them in general. Yeah. Which like... Is awesome if Gideon could figure out a safe way to make that actually work, but... I know. And also, we left off with her having a pretty nasty infection in the arm because of the zombie bite, so 
she's mm-hmm. most likely going to lose that arm. So that will probably affect her fighting ability. But if we know Jane, I'm sure she's going to come back from it. Oh yeah, she'll she'll make up for it with anger. Yeah. <laughs> She will live to kill more zombies, I'm pretty sure. And Catherine and co. did get out of town, ultimately, and they got picked up by a, what's it called, a pony or a horse or what, mm-hmm. what do they call these train things? Ponies. But we're not, con- but there's a Captain Shaw that was mentioned that I don't think we've actually heard anything about yet. Yeah, he didn't sound familiar to me. But he sounds a little bit sketchy, too. So I don't know okay. where we're going or what trouble we're we're getting out of some trouble but we might be getting into worse trouble who knows i'm sure we will because (laughs) if we're headed to fort riley um i think that's where jackson's wife is so that will be interesting and then eventually i want to go to california so we can see jane's mom but we only have half a book left so we'll see and Catherine thinks jane is dead and jane's alone in this village with all these shamblers so we need to get them even back together to do all of the (laughs) like i'm excited because i do feel like there's a there's a lot to happen (laughs) And this maybe is a spoiler alert, but I read part two of The Road to Perdition, and then underneath it, it says one year and five months later. What? I know, I just spoiled it. I'm sorry. But technically, that was the page we read up to, so. Whoa. I did not see that. Okay. So we're going to have a big time jump, unless it's maybe oh, just yeah. for a chapter or something. But I wonder, like, what, what can happen? A lot can happen in 17 months. Jackson's baby is going to be born, Jane's arm will be cut off, but she will have recovered, and she'll be stronger and better than ever. They'll be in California, her mom will be there. I know, I wonder, maybe we'll like skip all the things we think are going to happen and we'll just jump into a brand new problem. (laughs) Most likely. (laughs) Well, whatever it is, it's sure to be very interesting and entertaining, so I'm excited. And again, I'm a little bit, I'm definitely excited, and this book is also just going really fast for how long it is, and I'm loving it but I'm I kind of wish this I feel like there's so much you could do with this world I mean I guess we'll see how it ends but yeah I kind of want more I wish I wish there was more it's not often when I say I wish a book was a trilogy but I would definitely read more in this world a ton more in this world yeah like even if we left Jane and Catherine although I'm loving them and their friendship I just this world is like fascinating to me yeah I almost want like a whole different set of characters doing their own battle with the zombies and like how they tackle it in different ways yeah like down in new orleans or somewhere else in the mm-hmm. south or one of the other cities that fell while still in the city or i don't know i mean like or even going back closer to, to the civil war when the shamblers first yeah. started rising and like as they were figuring out some of this stuff i don't know it's just i guess we'll see what we still have several pages left but but yeah i'm excited um do you have a joke for me this week I forgot. I wait, give me a second. I was just thinking about that. But so we're reading about shamblers. So I have some zombie jokes for you. Yes. Where do zombies eat dinner? Mm, I don't know. The living room. <laughs> That's good. Why did the zombie go to the dentist? Because he had brains stuck in his teeth. <laughs> to improve his bite. Mm. <laughs> Do you did you hear about the zombie comic book? No. It's called YOLO and it's full of irony. That was a dumb joke. I don't know why I read that one. I don't get it. You only live once, but Oh, but they're zombies and they live twice. Yeah. Gotcha. Why do zombies only date intelligent women? For their brains? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got one. Nice. Okay, well in there. These aren't that great. <laughs> we we need better zombie jokes if you guys could uh submit some. That please, would be great. please. Um, you can do that by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. 
We're also on Facebook and Instagram at MNK Talk YA. And we're going to finish Deathless Divide. We're going to finish the series for next week. Ah, I'm not ready. <laughs> I am not ready for it to be done, but I am ready to get back to reading. So, okay, let's do it. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo designed by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelphy, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.